You know what time it is? Time to get industrious. Cold open time. Okay. Or warm open. I don't know. I don't know why it's cold open. It's kind of a today being rainy. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's cold or how about ambient temperature open. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's the best open of the year because it's May in Indy, which can only mean one thing. It's time to go racing. And we are a mere few days away from the Indianapolis 500. And in, on my mind, AKA uh, the greatest spectacle in racing. That is true. I'm thinking uh, tailgating. I'm thinking Bloody Marys. I'm thinking cold beer. Uh, I'm thinking sunburns and inappropriate clothing. And uh, probably a, a close second best to the racing is the people watching. Um, the Indy 500, I will say, is some of the best people watching around, maybe short of Disney World, but it's up there. Because list out every possible thing you think you might want to see, it's there. Uh, Disney World. <laughs> Including things bit. you may not want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, getting geared up, big work week as we as we roll into the holiday weekend. Um, I think Chris might have just fallen out of his chair. I'm not sure. Are you okay, Chris? <laughs> Everything's uh, fine. <laughs> uh, rolling into the holiday weekend, a big event here in Indy with the race. Uh, obviously, uh, others gearing up for Memorial Day, uh, not only for what that means, but also just having a day off. But nonetheless, a few more work days that we need to... Uh, crush out here and focus in on before we can have a little R and R uh, and fast cars and, and, um, and all the, and all the tomfoolery that comes with that. I thought you were one of my favorite else. words, tomfoolery I'll, I'll, and ballyhoo tomfoolery and ballyhoo. That's what the weekend is made for. And I'm liking the weather forecast hot and sunny. It does look good. Does look make good. Sure, make sure you apply some sunscreen all over, especially your head. What's the forecast in the UP this weekend? Yeah, sixty-five to seventy. That's pretty good. And those That's are August temperatures in Canada Light. <laughs> and we're we're going up there on Friday. My daughter and I. Are you? Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, that probably makes a good segue. Um, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Industrious Podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us for this episode. Uh, wherever you are tuning in, where you get your podcasts or on the Assessa YouTube channel, we thank you for joining us. Today, we are honored to be uh, accompanied by Mr. Steve Edens of Hankel. Welcome to the Industrious Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. Um, Steve, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us kind of where you're from, and then we'll work our way into the, into the industry. Okay. Uh, my name is Steve Edens. I am with Henkel Corporation. I'm a business development manager for the light metals product line, which would include really anything to do with aluminum or magnesium, pretty much anything non-ferrous. So that would include uh, the Bondrite product line and the old legacy Allodyne product line. Um, as far as my background, I grew up in the UP of Michigan, uh, went to school at Northern Michigan, okay. and uh, moved to Green Bay outside of school, got a job there at an anodizer facility, and became a customer of Henkel. Over time, they had a job opening, and here I am today. Yeah. Um, grew up in the UP, what was that like? Uh, if you like the outdoors, it was awesome. Right. And if you grow up there, you learn to like the outdoors. Sure. <laughs> and you learn to like cold. Right. Yeah. But I grew up near Iron Mountain, just a little okay. town near Iron Mountain. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
pretty much had a, my family has a hunting camp up there. And we'd go to a lake a lot, right? fishing, skiing, etc. Sounds awesome. Um, best time to go up there if you're not from there? Uh, if you're from here this summer. Yeah. yeah. Which is what, a couple weeks in August? About four months. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although you said this weekend's forecast sounds totally fine. Oh, it's beautiful weather if you like to be around 65, 75 degrees. Yeah. And it can get hot there. Sure. But uh, um, certain spots, it's, it's been known to snow in June and July off the lake. Hmm. Not not a big snowstorm, but just something comes in off the lake. Right, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you said Northern Michigan. Um, I feel like we know someone who went to Northern Michigan. Um, I don't know Northern anyone Han- that went to Northern Michigan. Northern uh, Hankel guy. Um, why am I blanking on his name? He's going to be pissed when he sees this. Um, crap. That's not his name. No, it's not. I'm drawing a blank. And I have for some reason I thought he went to Northern Michigan as well, but I could be mistaken. There are a few. Um, if I do a LinkedIn search, I do find some people there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what drew you there? Did they have you're interested in chemistry, and they had a program, and, and that's kind of what drew you in, or? Um, it was close. Right. It was uh, something that had a good chemistry program, and um, it allowed me to be able to travel back and continue my hobbies that I had without going to, let's say, Ann Arbor or Madison. And on the weekends, I could go and do what I really enjoyed doing, which was outdoor activities. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't mention that school in Ann Arbor on air. Not allowed to. Maybe a rivalry thing. <laughs> well, which yeah. one do you mention? Well, there really is only one uh, the premier, Indiana University. premier Big Ten <laughs> school, and that would be uh, Indiana University. Uh, it's located in God's Country, Indiana, about an hour and a hour and a half south of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I now live in the Greater Milwaukee area. Yeah, so I know a little bit about Marquette and Madison. Yeah. Marquette's yeah. great school. Uh, I will tell you this: I have been in Milwaukee more in the last I don't know five years than I've been in the previous 35, 40 years. Um, good town, up and coming, a lot of development going on. Um, I, I, I was I was intrigued. I liked it. You should move there. <laughs> well, there's, okay. usually, there's usually a party every weekend at the festival grounds right off the lake. Right. Uh, that whole lakefront on, as it would be the southeast side of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of de- new development there. Very cool. Um, spent a few evenings there. Um, was well hydrated. It was good. A lot of beer, cheese curds. Was that, was that hydrated or dehydrated? Were you heading one Hydrated the, that night, dehydrated the next morning. How's that? <laughs> yeah, you'd be like meat and cheese, cannibal sandwiches. It's a big I, thing up there. I don't even know what a cannibal sandwich is, but it's a big Wisconsin it, thing. It is a big thing up there. It's what like is a, a cannibal sandwich? Like a, isn't it like just basically like a... It's raw. Meat on top of a little wafer? It's raw. It's basically raw hamburger. Uh, oh. Basically. It's with, like kibbe. Kibbe. <laughs> Yes, with onions or whatever. Yeah, it's kibbe and I. <laughs> I usually skip Midwest it. Midwest style. I usually skip that. I prefer the cooked food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until I get to sushi, and then I just go for that like crazy. There you go. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, what uh, what was your first job at? You said you went to an anodizer in in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Uh, how long were you there? I was at that facility at Pioneer Metal Finishing for okay. about four, give or take four, four and a half years. And what does an anodizer do? Um, they'll process aluminum parts, and this was a job shop, so they just they they had parts come in. And what they would do is put an anodic coating on it. Anodizing is a 
uh, surface treatment finish or a conversion coating on the aluminum substrate that provides corrosion resistance and wear resistance for things like uh, pots and pans, uh, auto components, yeah. building components, uh, agricultural, pretty much anything with aluminum and some of the characteristics is it improves the, the hardness, but it allows it also to be colored. Similar if you're familiar with, let's say, a, a, the mag light or the aluminum flashlights. Right, yeah. Those are actually dyed anodized parts. Okay. I would say it, it certainly gives an aesthetic to it, whereas, and this is me being, a, a, you know, from a, a layman's description, so if I'm wrong, correct me, um, a normal surface treatment that we typically deal with that might provide the corrosion uh, protection and whatnot and paint adhesion. Uh, it's not colored. It doesn't give any aesthetic value to the part, whereas the anodizing certainly does, and that can, pre that can be the finished part by itself, per se. And actually, uh, many, many cell phones and tablets actually have aluminum anodized yeah. backs or structures. Right. But uh, anodizing itself uh, can give a color. It can be clear. Okay. Uh, but uh, it really is for corrosion protection, wear protection, and unlike traditional let's say conversion coating products where it's cleaning, deoxidizing conversion coat and then possibly paint or standalone mm -hmm. for short-term protection. Anodizing usually involves, let's just say ballpark, 12, 15, many, many stages. Okay. It's just not, let's just say five or seven. Mm -hmm. Most, a lot of anodizing lines are, let's say 15 to 20 tanks long. Gotcha. Yeah, we asked some of these questions because if our listeners and or viewers aren't in the industry, it's it's helpful for them to draw a um, a link between the technical aspect from the production to what they have in their hands in their daily life and how that you know how how that impacts them. And we also did traditional aluminum conversion coatings. Okay. So right. for aerospace or <clears throat> automotive. Yeah, I would say the bulk of this kind of fast forward a little bit, but the bulk of the um, formerly Aladine or now Bondrite mm -hmm. uh, branded products for the light metal side are uh, aerospace or automotive. Um, and then some general industrial that just happens to be made out of out of aluminum because there's no question that uh, the, the use of aluminum is increasing, but we'll kind of get into that. Um, so when you left Pioneer and then went to Hankel, what was your first role at Hankel? Uh, my first role at Hankel was I was an on-site person for a chemical management contract. Okay. And that's where we are hired or contracted to basically manage the process right. at a customer site. And that was at Racine, um, at uh, the Case Corporation back in the day. I was only in that role because I had, a, I had a function that I was really hired for. So that was more of a training position for one year for me. And then right after that, I moved into a sales role and then pr pr uh, moved throughout the Henkel sales program. Uh, sales, senior sales, account manager, account executive. And then uh, back in 2017, I became business development manager for North American Light Metals. What, what, is, what is your typical, uh, not typical day, but what would you say are the main, the main functions of your current job in that role? Um, I support the sales team and work with product development, marketing, innovation, uh, sales, as I mentioned, but everything from rep development to going to clients, talking about what's new in the marketplace, yeah. or going to, let's say, a trade show, either giving a paper or demanding a booth, and really trying to figure out where people want to go, where industry is going, and if there is something that we can work on 
to help bring more innovation to the marketplace. Right. So that's a great segue. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the use of aluminum and, and probably other light metals that um, I haven't mentioned has, has been growing for, gosh, at minimum the, la the last decade for sure. Um, we, we talked previously a little bit about how the automotive industry is using more uh, aluminum. Uh, other industries are using more aluminum to lightweight the cars to increase fuel efficiency for still, you know, the existing combustion engines, engines but also EV uh, cars will use aluminum to also ex help lighten the car to extend battery life. Um, how have you seen that grow over the last 10 years and what stands out to you from what you've seen in those 10 years and then maybe what's to come? Well, I'll just go with a few of the industries that I checked on before coming here today. Yeah. Automotive is expected to grow uh, approximately for the use of aluminum year over year, approximately 8% okay. every year through, I believe it was 2026. Uh, the architectural building industry is expecting to grow by approximately 7% the use of aluminum year over year. And even aerospace, which during COVID had, uh, had uh, struggled a bit as far as airplane sales, but they're even showing a growth of aluminum approximately three to 4%. And this was just information that was available online. So the use of aluminum is, is gaining, uh, I believe in the next five or six years, uh, each vehicle will have about 12% more aluminum than it does today. Right. Uh, light weighting, which has to do with, let's say, fuel efficiency, or the range for an EV mm -hmm. uh, is one of the big things. But I was just at the Extrusion Technology Show in Orlando a few weeks ago, and right there they, they of course, had, they had a Corvette, and it was a cutaway. Okay. And you could see where they had used aluminum throughout the body, throughout right. the frame, to basically increase performance. So lightweighting has more of an impact than just what we think about from a sustainability standpoint. Yeah. Even performance-wise, it gives you an advantage to get the vehicle. Yeah. So how much right. aluminum and like carbon is now on that Corvette versus steel and whatever Honestly, else? it was a seat and a few pieces of, 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 the, of the body. Okay. The rest of it was a frame, and they were showing where aluminum and magnesium were utilized. Um, I don't like to say magnesium because I, I didn't. They didn't go through where it was at. Sure, but that's a typical automotive alloy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a pretty cool thing to see because yeah. you, you didn't see a lot of the car, other than than just some pieces, parts to show where things would be in relation to how the frame was put together. Right. Well, if you can maintain 500 plus horsepower but lighten the overall weight of the vehicle. Just helps get off the line a little bit faster. Um, yes. <laughs> and likewise, they had another car there, a, a Tesla. Okay. Uh, the same idea, of course, that being a electric. Right. And uh, the two were, the, the two companies or the two cars were there with, with close to each other. I know which one I would go for. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but I, I will say this, speaking of Tesla, um, have you been in one put it in whatever mode that is and and hit it and and felt the acceleration i have not it's crazy but my friends that have them have told me that already that because the uh, all the power goes right to the right. drive system mm -hmm. the amount of torque is unbelievable i forgot what they told me zero to 60 was but uh it's very fast it is you mi certainly miss the sound of the engine but the feeling, I mean, you it puts you back in your seat and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, when you punch it on a combustion engine, there's that just little lag that you, you know, that you kind of expect. But when you punch it on an electric vehicle, it just 
it's immediate and you better be ready for it. I mean, I still have a stick shift in my, uh, at home. Okay. And, uh, I still enjoy driving a manual. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, uh, my turbocharged automatic does just fine. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I did have an electric and even though it was just the little, it was not, it was not a Tesla. It mm-hmm. was not meant to be fast. Right. I was just trying to get used to it. Sure. And, uh, it was something else. Yeah. Well, I think it'll take some time. There's no question. Um, I think I saw the other other night on the news that EV sales are up and they're now concerned that, you know, like anything else with supply right now that they just, they can't keep up with demand. Um, speaking of which, not to turn the tables on a potentially sore subject, but um, how are you guys seeing things right now? I mean, I, I, I think I already know the answer, but um, how are things going right now with, with relative to getting enough raw materials to make the products? Um, the constant um, fluctuations of pricing and, and of course I shouldn't say fluctuations because they're all kind of just going in one direction. What are you seeing right now? And not to put you on the spot, but how's the crystal ball? And I think I already know the answer to that one. Well, I'll tell you what I can for the business development. Sure. So we have people that do that, that are product line managers and, and people in purchasing that work on this all the time. Yeah. Uh, we have several that are just dedicated to make sure that we can get our raw materials. Uh, whether that means they're coming from, let's say, regionally here in the U.S. or North America, or if they're coming from overseas. We haven't had any real issues with getting products, but we have a team that's actually working pretty hard on it. As far as getting raw materials, uh, all you have to do is pick up the newspaper or drive by a gas station and you see what's happening. Um, So just from a supply and demand standpoint, it's the crystal ball is kind of foggy right now. Right. And so to comment on it would be, I guess we have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, we're not, we're not just arbitrarily throwing out price increases left and right. Um, and and the product shortage is, is real. I mean, this is not a fabricated thing. I think it's hitting pretty much everyone, whether you're a distributor to direct customers, um, across the board. Uh, where do you see, and maybe primarily from the light metal side, where do you see things going over the next five to 10 years? Um, from uh, the usage of aluminum, everything's going up. Yeah. But from a standpoint of production manufacturing, the biggest things that I hear when I go to conferences or trade shows is people can't find employees or can't find skilled employees. And everyone's struggling to find, let's say, raw materials or, or supplies. Mm-hmm. Whether that's uh, from our perspective, chemicals, or if it's about just finding, let's say, aluminum billet. People are finding products, but they're all struggling to find it. Yeah, I think yeah. The, one of the most challenging things, which just sounds, it, it's odd to say, but there's so much demand out there, or, or at least at this to this point, there's been so much demand out there that who would have ever thought that I want to expand my business to be able to provide and fulfill the demand that's being placed on me, but I have to question whether or not I can do that based on availability of labor, availability of building materials and the, and the indirect labor tied to that. You just, you wouldn't think that we'd be in that position, that those are the elements that are maybe holding back our ability to fill orders. Uh, Typically it's, you know, I, I, I want to expand. Okay. I've got the labor force. I've got the space. Now it's a function of going out and, and, and getting the business. Um, it's, I don't think I don't think a crystal ball a few years ago. Of course, a few years ago we weren't thinking of a pandemic either. But no one would have I th- really imagined that those would be the constraints on growth right now. 
Well, and you have a global supply chain and something happens in another region of the world. Right. Now everyone is seeing what the effects are. Uh, if there is uh, a catastrophe, if there is some kind of a, uh, let's say the situation currently going on in Europe. Right. Now everyone sees what's, what's happening when there's a global supply chain. Uh, to your point about uh, uh, people looking to expand, it used to be also that if there was a less of a labor pool in a certain part of the U.S., you could try to move to some other location. Mm. But now it seems like everyone is in the same shortage. Oh, yeah. So even if you move from, let's say, the West Coast to the Midwest or to the South or to the, the East, trying to find people and products mm-hmm. is the biggest challenge right now. Yeah. Well, we, st- we still have six openings, something like that. Sounds about right. And yeah. not getting a whole lot of action on filling them. We did just fill recently fill one as of, and he just he started this week, a mm-hmm. uh, sales position. But we it, it, trying to find find people to fill the positions and, and, and skilled folks, very challenging to say the least, as you you guys well know. What would you say are the when you go to shows or you do a, um, a presentation at a show or a conference? What are some of the biggest questions you're getting right now? Biggest question is the one you just already asked, yeah. and that is what's going on with with raw material supplies. What are you hearing about out in the industry? Right. Um, one of the questions we get asked always is about what's new in the market. Sure. And uh, uh, from a aluminum conversion coating standpoint, the legacy products are still out there, mm-hmm. but everybody wants sustainability, um, environmentally friendly, uh, less sludge, ambient truly ambient mm-hmm. products and some way to reduce waste in the overall, let's say the effluent stream or waste in general. So we, we, we've talked about the business climate and we've talked about that on, on recent podcast episodes with other guests, because as, as you mentioned, when re, in regard to the labor pool and how it's not a local or even regional issue, it's a national issue. The general supply chain constraints that we're dealing with, is a national issue and it's it's across multiple industries we're sort of all in this boat of misery together mm-hmm. in some ways um the question i have is not how is the existing supply chain and and all that comes with that not its effect on current business but what how is that affecting development of new products how is that affecting the r d side when it comes to uh, trying to f- to fill that or answer that question of what's next well, one of the biggest challenges when you go to do a, let's say, a voice of the customer or to ask someone, if they can't find people to work on the floor, now you have managers and supervisors actually running lines. They have no time to see you. Right. They have no time to go to the shows, the conferences, and if they do, they're always on the phone. So that ability to, let's say, do the mining or the research to see what people are looking for has been affected. You still talk to folks, but now you're hearing about a lot of other people that are running production lines. Right. Uh, along that line, we have a, a new product in a totally different segment of our business that we sent samples out to different customers to try it out and get their feedback. Um, I may have sent it to, let's say, 10 different customers. Two have already supplied back. The other eight I've you know, followed up with and like, we're doing all we can just to get our parts out the door. We would love to test it. I just. I, I can't. I don't have the, the people or the time or what have you. I'm like, okay, fair enough. And I trying to schedule trials or let's say, uh, if you want to call it beta tests or lab tests mm-hmm. with with a on-site, yeah, that's become a real challenge. It, no one has time to do it, 
as far as development of products, we can still get materials to develop it. Most times we're talking small quantity to develop it, then bring it out to the market and do some beta testing at specific locations, to, let's say those that requested it. And we haven't really had an issue developing products. The issue is getting that information back from the clients on what they right. really want. Yeah, it seems like those in, in that our customers, your customers, they have, they have three things on their mind, throughput, throughput, and throughput. And that's all they can focus on right now. Yes. I mean, they're, they're just trying to keep their head above the water. Yes. Yeah. Very familiar story. Yeah. No question. Um, Steve, what else is coming down the pike that, that you would want people to be aware of? Um, one of the things that we're really talking about right now is a uh, new aluminum conversion coating that we have. It's, it's new to the U.S. It's been used in Europe for quite a few years. Okay. Um, and it's intended for the architectural market uh, and automotive. Okay. Um, we use it on, let's say, the EV battery boxes, but it can also be used on components for buildings that'll be painted. Okay. So another, an example would be that, uh, for example, uh, what do you want to say? Uh, I believe it's a 20-year warranty is often given for buildings. So uh, the paint suppliers want to make sure that you have the best product on it. Legacy materials, which contain heavy metals, are trying to be replaced. And uh, there are a few different bodies that that, uh, issue specifications for architectural type work. Um, And these materials are approved for those applications. The paint suppliers will be involved as far as approval. But uh, non-chrome products, the one from Europe, allows you to do etching. Okay. And then also conversion coating with the same product with no rinse between it. Mm. So that's the different side of it. Our legacy uh, 5200 product, our old Aladine 5200, right, yeah. uh, now Bondrate M-NT 5200, Correct. Yeah. Uh, basically is, is a very good product. It just does not do the etching where you'd have a separate deox ahead of it. Mm-hmm. With this new one, it would be cleaning for, let's say, getting your organic soils off with a, with an alkaline cleaner, rinsing, and then you could have what's called 2040 R2 in two tanks side by side. You can get your etching done, your conversion coating. Is one better than the other one performance-wise? They're about the same performance-wise. The benefit is now you can actually try to shorten that line. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. That's interesting. Um, is it heated at all still? The, any of the baths heated? Yes. Okay. And generally, based on the location in the country, you know, we talk about ambient a lot, mm-hmm. but if someone's in the north versus the south, ambient means two different things. Sure. Right, yeah. And so often when I talk about ambient, we talk about 75, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. I recommend for a lot of folks, and we have to look at each application and do the testing, but if someone can run, let's say, 100 Fahrenheit and have a consistent temperature throughout the year, right. they tend to be better off. Sure. Just because it consi- it's consistent. Now, products like our Bondrate NT1, which is a, a multi-metal nano-type product, Correct, yeah. I've made that thing up at 50-degree temperature water or middle of summer in the south, and it doesn't make a lot of difference. Hmm. But Aladine 5200, as an example, uh, you want to try to maintain that temperature as constant as possible uh, throughout the year. Gotcha. You're writing a PO over there? Uh, maybe, yeah. 2040 R2. 
Yeah, it's a whole product line over in Europe. Okay. Um, I'll also refer to it as RX. There's everything from R1 through R9. Okay. And they have slightly different applications. The R2 is the one that I'll just mention because that's the one that I'm the most familiar with. But uh, it's used on, when I say battery boxes for okay. EVs, uh, it's, right. it's used in the, here in the U.S. R1 and R2 are used here for... Okay, so it is already stateside in the oh, market. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, we have it here. Gotcha. And so uh, uh, it really comes down to, let's say, the testing performance, the line design, what the system's built out of. Because anytime you have an etching acid in a system, you have to make sure that you're very careful on the construction equipment. Okay. Because if, if the washer does not have the proper or has, a, has an improper alloy, right. you can actually... It's going to eat through yes, that. Yes, it will. Yeah. And that's where, that's one of the biggest questions we have when someone that has, let's say, an alkaline system in the front, an acidic conversion coating, mm -hmm. and they want to put an acidic cleaner in that does some etching, is what is everything made out of? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Is that a general that progression where products maybe start in Europe, get used over there, and then make their way here, or it just... This um, is coincidental in this case. This one is just coincidental. Yeah. Uh, from a performance standpoint, the real benefit is to allow you to shorten the line. Performance-wise, 5200 and 2040R2 will give you about the same result. Okay. Um, but the, the whole thing is people are looking to make shorter lines. They're looking to condense the system, reduce what they're using uh, as far as, let's say, water effluent. And if you can eliminate it to a stage, or actually a stage and a rinse at mm -hmm. a minimum, then they're very interested in that. Well, you're speeding up the process, but you're also lessening the waste related to that and um, not just the real estate side of it. I, would, I could see some advantages there for sure. And, you know, for example, the other things are with that would be uh, people want to do hybrid lines. Okay. And that's when the engineering team needs to get involved. Yeah. Because sometimes if someone wants to run multi-metal and it's just, 80%, 90% steel, and 5 10 15% galvanized aluminum, some combination thereof. It's one thing, but when someone wants to run an unknown amount of what they get in, yeah, it sometimes it's better to actually have two lines. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so our customer profile, we have a fair amount of job shops, and in true job shop fashion, I mean, it's not the same widget going down the line all day long. It's anything and everything. Um, so for, for those situations in particular ones that may only have one line, you, you got to find the most, I'll call it flexible products for them to use because again, the, every, every project's different. Do you see something like, um, the R2 working there or in that scenario, is it better for them? And, and they're all looking at sustainability. I mean, it's all matriculated down to even, you know, smaller job shops that we deal with that are not, you know, huge facilities. They're trying to reduce their footprint, reduce their waste, uh, reduce their operating costs. Uh, are they are they better served going the, the nano route, like an NT1 or something like that? The nano route for a true multi-metal line. Yeah. Uh, whenever you talk about ferrous substrates, when you have an etching acid, it attacks it. Yeah. So let's say there's an acid, uh, uh, a steel deoxidizer it won't be an etching product on aluminum. It, you're, you, the fluoride actually in the product gives you that performance. Okay. So it, for steel, it won't have fluoride in it. If you have fluoride in there and it's an aluminum line, you're going to attack the steel substrate. Okay. But so NT1's a very good choice for that. 
Um, there are, for example, 5200 can be used as a rinsable or a dry in place. Okay. Some folks have actually modified systems and at the end of their line put a dry in place halo system, mm-hmm. a vestibule on the line, and they would just turn that on when they run aluminum. Okay. Just an idea, because that gives you a true aluminum conversion coating. Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, people have to be able to switch back and forth. And if it's a true jobber and they run a mixed, true mixed metal line and don't batch the process, then it's just more, it's it's bigger, it's, it's a problem. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's where NT1, from a testing standpoint, should test just fine mm-hmm. on multi-metal, including aluminum. Yeah. Thing is, you always want to test it. Correct. We've... Uh, I would say in the last three to five years, if I had more inquiries uh, regarding either the NT1 specifically or something like it um, than we've had in the prior 10 years, for sure. Um, I I think the interest, and this kind of coincides with the the coding side too, of people asking more about water-based products um, than before. It's all, it's it's come to the surface down to, I'll call it the mainstream. Uh, They're just more interested in being more sustainable reduce their costs if they can, but reduce their amount of waste, et cetera. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, what what questions might you have for us? Um, what do you guys normally see in your industry for what you're, how are you, who you're serving as far as the types of paints they're using, the types of systems you see? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a complete mixed bag. Um, from the job shoppers who are running whatever can come in the front door that's then getting typically powder coated on the backside to those who are, uh, while they're technically a job shop or an outsource for uh, prepping and and ultimately painting uh, that might be geared towards automotive. So those are really spec driven, obviously. And uh, they may or may not be painting. They may just be doing the cleaning and treating and then sending it back out back to their to their customer f- who has a an e-coat line or going into a liquid or powder paint process. It's I think that's part of being in, in distribution. We aren't targeting one specific segment. We're really targeting any type of customer and then having you know our supplier Hinkle behind us that has the multitude of technologies to be able to fit within know to fit those puzzle pieces within what it is we're trying to build so it's it truly is a mixed bag and you brought up the specification portion of it and that's really important because if there is a spec right. you have to make sure that you comply to it mm-hmm. and some specs allow you to use different conversion coatings and certain ones call out approved products that are only allowed like a, a military spec mm-hmm. or right. certain automotive specs yeah. right um, and if that's the case then you have to ensure that your material or what they're using is on that right and that's why it's, it's key for us as a, as a distributor of industrial paints and chemicals we don't align ourselves with just any supplier uh, our suppliers have the, if there's one primary thing they have in common is that their product is focused on quality we're not a price club we will never be a price club and we affiliate ourselves with with suppliers who while while price is part of the equation you can't just you know, try and sell everyone a Rolls Royce, it's for a function of performance and quality. And with Hinkle, we know that if we have something that's a mill spec or a specific automotive manufacturer mm-hmm. spec, very, very good chance that Hinkle has something on the on the shelf to be able to fulfill that because you guys have invested in the product development and the testing to be able to meet that criteria. And PD 
innovation for us is one of the key focuses of what, what we look at at Hinkle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you say PD, product development. Product development. Yeah. Um, to Joe's point, we have, I think, two customers in the last, I don't know, month that I remember seeing emails come in who are currently selling them product, but they're getting, they must be getting a new opportunity. And I said, hey, do you have anything that meets such and such spec um, specifically and call those out? So that's, that's certainly where the, the Hankel products come into play because you guys have a lot of the military specs, the automotive specs, the uh, Caterpillar and, and, and whatnot. Um, we get that quite frequently. So we, we appreciate that for sure. All right. Well, Steve, thank you for making the time today and coming in to see us. We greatly appreciate it. Um, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. For wherever you're listening in, to wherever you get your podcasts or watching on the Assessa YouTube channel, we appreciate you. Uh, feel free to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done so and the notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes drop. Until then, be industrious.